Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Hello and welcome to part two of a two-part series on perception and retaliation in compliance. Uh, Last time we spent some time talking about some data around uh, employee perception regarding uh, reporting and retaliation. Uh, We talked a little bit about how uh, perception of retaliation might be uh, slightly different, a little more nuanced than actual uh, uh, retaliation taking place, but the perception is uh, still a uh, powerful and um, important concept to to measure and make sure you are addressing. Um, this time, I wanted to really spend the time talking about some answers, uh, how you approach uh, issues around retaliation, perception of retaliation, reporting concerns. Um, I talked a little bit about measurement last time. I think it's important to understand how these issues apply to your organization specifically. If you're not doing a culture survey or some other survey where you ask the question about observed misconduct and reporting, and if you get a negative response uh, regarding reporting observed misconduct, following up and finding out the reasons given why uh, people do not report at your organization. And we talked, remember last time about how that percentage of individuals might be somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15% of the total population of your organization. If, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50% of the organization is observing misconduct and a good portion of those, uh, individuals usually sometime somewhere between, you know, if you have a really good number, it might be in the high 40s. If you have a bad number, it might be somewhere in the 60s or 70%. So you're talking about a significant part of your population in most organizations. Uh, So getting a handle around that, I think, is is job one in how to deal with this. Uh, You have to have some data to to, uh, take action on. You have to have some data to marshal resources and to encourage stakeholders about uh, how important this um, might be. Uh, So Job one, uh, uh, tool one, uh, is to gather that data. <clears throat> if you don't know, uh, when you're listening to this right now, if you don't know uh, how many people uh, in your organization, how many employees or have a sample of employees telling you whether they observed misconduct, whether they reported it, and if not, why not, then uh, you're behind the curve on being able to gauge uh, retaliation at your organization because it, it really comes down to reporting. It really does. That's where you can get the answers. So <clears throat> gathering that is, is, is the most important thing you can do because otherwise you, you're, you're kind of flailing in the, in the dark a little bit. You don't really know. Uh, and you're going to potentially uh, uh, get a lot of r- uh, resistance if you don't have data to back it up because as we talked about last time, you ask any uh, reasonable executive 
uh, CEO or, or other senior executive about retaliation, they're going to say, of course we don't retaliate. Of course we have a non-retaliation policy. Of course we're not going to let that happen. And everybody knows that. And that's a message that we talk about. There, there's going to be uh, almost in every organization, there's going to be unanimity amongst the senior management that this is a message that everybody understands. So you're going to get pushback if you don't have data to say, well, that is true. Uh, this is a message that we push a lot, but there is something going on. There's a disconnect somewhere because <clears throat> when we measure this, we're finding that people still fear retaliation, and, and it's a significant percentage of our population uh, that respond this way. So once you get there, then the question becomes, what do you do next? What's the, what's the solution here? Well, there's lots of potential solutions, uh, common solutions to uh, addressing this problem usually focus around uh, training and communication, you know, getting out more messaging to the population about the non-retaliation policy of the organization, uh, the importance of, re of uh, reporting. Uh, same in, you know, trying to provide more training or trying to provide more discussion in the uh, training that exists, uh, if you have a code of conduct training or another annual compliance training, having more discussion, more robust discu discussion in that training around reporting and retaliation. That's probably the most common way to address uh, this issue when it comes up in an organization. They see that there is this sort of lingering uh, percentage uh, the out there of, of individuals that perceive retaliation that are concerned uh, about retaliation and, and, and won't report based on it. Um, or at least that's how they report. Uh, they're reporting that they perceive it and that they are not reporting for that reason. <clears throat> so that's common. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that because that's pretty direct, right? You, and we don't do this. We have a policy against retaliation. Those that retaliate will be, will be disciplined. Uh, another sort of corollary to that or, or, or collateral piece of that that I don't see that often, um, which is uh, I think can be effective, and that is uh, relating uh, situations where retaliation has been discovered and handled. Um, this uh, goes along with something that I talk about a lot on this podcast, which is the notion that it's very effective uh, to message about how the company takes misconduct, particularly misconduct by managers and, and those senior in the organization, seriously and has consistent discipline uh, and consistent enforcement. Um, this always, uh, well, I shouldn't say always, but very often bumps up against the um, uh, perceptions of either HR or, or uh, employment counsel uh, that they don't, that they're concerned about revealing too much information about uh, any investigation or any discipline action that's happened. But there are ways to do this. There are ways to, you know, get the message out uh, and be transparent, be as transparent as you possibly can. Uh, about how uh, discipline has been handled, particularly in a situation that involves retaliation. So if you want to show uh, <laughs> that you really care uh, about this and that retaliation won't be tolerated, then you need to give examples of where retaliation wasn't tolerated. Otherwise, uh, you know, the rumors will go, go around that, um, you know, nothing happened because that's the perception if, if you aren't promoting it, if you aren't marketing the results. Uh, I know this is there's tension there. Uh, again, sometimes pushback from HR or pushback from counsel about releasing uh, too much detail. Uh, you know, you can fight back and forth about how specific you get, but it's important to send out the message.
And so that's kind of a collateral to training and communication. But what I think is most important and most valuable here, the, the best tool you have, is to really focus those efforts of communication and training uh, and resources at the manager level. This is something that we talk about across the board with compliance, how important managers are, how they're the first uh, contact, how culture is local, how managers are the biggest influencers uh, for the people that they um, supervise. So getting them uh, to deliver that message around retaliation, uh, getting them uh, armed so that they understand uh, situations where they might need to uh, be more proactive about uh, encouraging people to come forward, uh, having an open door. All of the things that we often talk about with middle managers are important. Now, why is that? Why, why are managers such an important nexus here? Uh, going back to some of the data I was talking about on the last episode from ECI, uh, one of the best metrics that they gather uh, and they've done this for years uh, in the old National Business Ethics Survey and now in the Global Business Ethics Survey. Uh, I believe they still do it in the Global Business Ethics Survey. I don't know if they release this data anymore. I wish they would if they don't. Um, but uh, they, they always ask the question, where do you prefer to report uh, or where do you report? Um, and in 2013, uh, when they did their uh, series of reports about reporting and retaliation, uh, they showed that 82% of those who report, report to supervisors at some time, at some point. So it may, may not be that the supervisor is the first place they go, but at some point, eight out of 10 times, they're going to be reporting or relating reporting to their manager. The manager is the most important, important nexus for reporting in an organization, period, full stop. I know we all have these anonymous reporting mechanisms. I know we all have uh, HR. We all have um, a compliance, well, we don't all have a compliance department, but we all have compliance resources and we promote those, we promote those and pr promote those. But also for the most part, uh, if you benchmark codes of conduct, if you look at codes of conduct, even if yours doesn't say this, most codes of conduct these days, what's the first line of defense? What's the place you direct people to first? Your manager, your supervisor. That is where we want them to go. Well, why do we want them to? Why do we want them to do that? Because oftentimes the manager is in the best position to uh, get all of the facts or get the facts on the ground, so to speak, and they're also in the best position to uh, deal with the immediate uh, needs of the situation. Um, but they're also the person uh, that the uh, reportee is most likely to go to. Um, when you ask the question about preference, preference for reporting, it's always in the 30, 30s and 40s, uh, a manager is number one, white right after that, slightly smaller in the, in the 30s and 40 percentile is uh, HR. Uh, but using the hotline or helpline is always in the single digits or low teens. It's always the case as the preferred method. And the data that they collected back in 2013, they found that when you, you ask the same question, where did you report and did, or ultimately report, uh, only 16% report using the hotline, again, at some point. So maybe the hotline was their first method, but maybe they did it after they didn't see results otherwise, but still under 20%. So you got eight, 82%. Uh, that are reporting to their supervisor at some point, and only 16% that are reporting to that fancy hotline 
at some point. Now, again, the caveat here, obviously, is uh, hotlines are important, and we have to have anonymous reporting systems. Um, that's an understood requirement under the sentencing guidelines. I say requirement; it's understood standard under the uh, uh, sentencing guidelines. But it's you know it's 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 best practice. And if you don't have it, and there are inquiries made about the effectiveness of your program, you're not going to pass. That's just the reality. So we have to have an anonymous method. But that is not the 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 hotline is not doing a lot of heavy lifting. It's just not. And that's that's tr that's been the case for a long time, uh, and we've understood that for a long time. And it makes sense if you think about it. It's human nature. We don't really want to uh, get on a recorded line or talk to a stranger on a phone uh, when we have a real serious concern. We want to talk to somebody we know and trust and understand, and we feel is going to understand us. Um, you know, both literally and figuratively. You know, we want somebody who speaks our language literally and figuratively. Um, so. Uh, that's why uh, dealing with managers, using managers as a resource uh, to try to combat uh, perception and fear of retaliation is so important because that's where people are going to go or where people are going to feel they can't go. And, and that's where the uh, uh, perception comes in. And again, remember, we're talking about perception of retaliation. Now, there may be actual real retaliation going on. That's bad. That needs to be handled. Uh, but the percentage of time where that's happening versus the percentage of time where people just perceive or are concerned or have fears uh, is, you know, the ratio is high and different. So knowing that, knowing that managers are the main, main nexus, here's another piece of data that causes us problems, right? So... When ECI uh, queried around the observed misconduct that was reported in their survey, they asked those reportees to say, okay, what was the level of the individuals engaged in the conduct? Uh, were they a senior leader, a middle manager, a frontline supervisor, uh, or non-management or other? Well, here is the disturbing result there. Uh, you had 60% of the misconduct that was observed by uh, employees reported in the survey that was committed by a manager, either a senior, what they characterize as a senior leader, a middle manager, or a frontline supervisor. So you've got that. And again, that's their perception. That may be true. That may not, you know, may have been their perception. And it may be their perception because the manager wasn't vocal uh, or managers seemed to be unconcerned about conduct that was ongoing, whether that was true or not. But that certainly was their perception. So you've got that competing factor you need to you need to consider as well, and let managers know. And 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 one of the things that you need to do here is not only arm managers with resources so that they are comfortable escalating uh, uh, reports and and make sure managers understand their role, but give them some of this data that we're talking about here. Uh, you know, let them know that you know here's the reality. The reality is people have perceptions. They may or may not be true. But they have perceptions, and we have to try to break those perceptions. And one of the perceptions that's out there is that misconduct is uh, very often committed by people that are senior in the organization. And they may be above the supervisor or manager that you uh, want them to report to, or they may be that individual, or they may be below them. But we need to have, understand that that, that that is a strong perception that employees have as well. So it makes our 
makes the job for the manager and for those that are supporting the manager um, that much more difficult because they are perceived to be the problem in many of these cases. It begs the question, perhaps also, why we see such a low uh, reporting rate on anonymous reporting uh, lines and other central resources, or maybe, maybe it suggests that we aren't making other central resources as available as we should. I don't know. But that is an interesting piece of data to con contemplate when you're, when you're trying to um, resolve these issues and address them. <clears throat> no surprise here. The data also shows that when uh, uh, misconduct involves management, uh, reporting shrinks. Uh, when the misconduct involves people who are considered non-management, uh, people report 67% of the time, so a majority of the time. No surprise. When the conduct involves a supervisor, interestingly, it shrinks, but it doesn't shrink that much. It's uh, 62%. Um, when the uh, conduct, however, involves middle or what are characterized as top managers, it does shrink. It shrinks down to 52%. So sort of the uh, status, I guess you would say, of the individual or individuals involved in the perceived misconduct, it makes an impact. And that's not, again, human nature, not a surprising result. Uh, so that's important to uh, factor into your uh, communication to managers as well, saying, uh, you know, and, and how this might um, in practical terms be related is, hey, it doesn't matter who it is. And we do this to some extent already. But you know, reiterating this notion, it doesn't matter. We're not to, if somebody is a top performer, a senior manager, uh, somebody who's responsible for you know a big piece of business in the organization. None of that matters if they're violating uh, our code of conduct or our policies or the law. If they're engaged in misconduct, they're engaged in misconduct, and it doesn't matter. Um, and that, you know, doesn't that, that's not to say it doesn't have an impact, right? Uh, that's a different conversation, but. As, for the purposes of them uh, being held to the same standards, we have to be consistent. And so a way to discuss that is to say, look, you know, people who are involved in things that you are concerned about and that you feel you ought to report are very oftentimes going to be senior to you. Um, that's just going to be the way it's going to happen. You need to know that you're going to be protected and we want everybody to speak up. That's the kind of culture that we want to have. Um, another... Uh, as we're talking about managers, another thing to keep in mind here, and this is why I'm kind of parsing this out, and I'm talking about senior managers, uh, top leaders, executives, and and then talking about supervisors, and then and then talking about people who are, have a non-manager managerial role, because I think you have to understand that there's a spectrum here. And the other thing that we very often don't talk about, but there's great data also in the ECI data from a few years back uh, about retaliation against managers because oftentimes uh, your whistleblowers or, or report, reporters, certainly whistleblowers, people who come outside an organization and, and make reports, they're very often managers or supervisors or you know sometimes fairly high up the chain of command. Um, oftentimes that might be what it takes because you have to have uh, you know some, uh, some authority, some some uh, willingness to uh, uh, to come forward, and but also maybe uh, access to information to be able to 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 be that kind of a person, uh, to be a whistleblower, to to have that kind of information. But also, it I think very often when we think about retaliation, we think about uh, the non 
supervisory or non-managerial employee uh, who feels trapped and you know can't speak up the chain of command for for various reasons and concerns. But it, it but we need to understand that retaliation affects people across the board. It affects some very senior people. We have uh, executives all the time that leave organizations or or have uh, have issues uh, within their organizations because of perceived retaliation. Uh, we talked uh, last time a little bit of, uh, about the data uh, perception of what retaliation looked like uh, for the average uh, employee that reported in the survey. When they queried managers specifically, leaders specifically, and said, what type of retaliation do you see? Their top ones, no surprises here. I was not given promotions or raises. I was relocated or reassigned. I was demoted. Uh, so so there's uh, they perceive the same sort of uh, sort of situational, for lack of a better term, um, uh, retaliation, uh, as as do employees. Uh, those are their top concerns. And their concerns are around promotion and con- you know concerns around rank and 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 uh, responsibilities and 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 that sort of thing. Um, but but I think it's important as we're communicating to managers, saying, look, you know, this doesn't. This is not just a situation where you're going to be the conduit potentially and you need to be uh, uh, aware and be a good advocate for for folks that might come to you but it also is the case that you might be a victim a potential victim or or be concerned or have the perception <laughs> that uh, that you should be concerned so that's an important thing to keep in mind um, so at the end of the day, what do you, what do you want? What do you what is most effective? I think for most organizations, what's most effective is to develop a communication and training plan. Uh, you know, as always with managers, it's a three legged stool. Develop a communication and training plan directed at managers, and it may be part of your broader uh, compliance training and communication plan to managers about their responsibilities more broadly regarding compliance, but but specifically talking to them about retaliation, about what it looks like, what it feels like, uh, what the perceptions are, uh, so that they can be prepared uh, to be a valuable conduit. And also, you know, letting them know that they potentially uh, need to be prepared to how they're going to react if they see something and they need to report it. Uh, The second leg of the stool is providing them some resources. And those resources, again, I say this over and over again on this podcast when we talk about managers. Those resources can be fairly basic. It can be things like a couple PowerPoint slides or a bulleted list of, of important topics uh, or, or, or concepts, rather. Uh, it can be something more um, dynamic than that. It can be helping managers, uh, uh, putting together structures so the managers can have some sort of uh, uh, coordination amongst themselves to discuss and lean on each other with regards to compliance, uh, creating a network or helping them create a network. Um, so providing resources of some sort. And then the third leg of the stool, as always, is measuring it. Um, again, this goes more broadly with the concept of manager responsibility for compliance, but having uh, uh, delivering these messages, being a, a, a good conduit for reporting, uh, being a good co- conduit for communication, uh, those are all things that are object can be objective and can be measured and should be measured as part of uh, a uh, manager's um, review. Uh, two last pieces of data, and then we'll wrap up with uh, perception and retaliation here. Uh, interestingly, uh, I was talking earlier about the difference between those who report to managers first or report to the hotline first. Um, 
uh, the, the, another uh, interesting figure from the ERC data is that 40% of those who report reporting to the hotline first also state that they experience retaliation. So if they go to the hotline first, they're part of a co cohort that's uh, perceiving and, and or, or saying actually rather that they have received that they have uh, um, experienced retaliation. 27 of those who report first to higher management, uh, which uh, is not well defined as what, far as I, what I can tell from the question as it's stated in their report. But I, I think you can assume higher management is going to be, uh, you know, corporate level. 27% of those folks who reported uh, higher up in the organization first say they experienced retaliation. Here is the kicker to what I was just talking about and why managers are so important. Only 17% of those who reported to their manager first reported experiencing retaliation. So even though uh, I think we're still in the infancy of arming our managers with all the tools and resources and expectations that we need to with regards to compliance and certainly with reporting and retaliation concerns, even though we're still, I think, for the most part in the infancy of that, we could see that that's the most effective method. <laughs> it just is. Because as you know, uh, if you measure it right now, uh, and again, across a broad spectrum of organizations that may or may not have any resources being delivered to managers at all around this issue, uh, that's still the most effective way for people to avoid uh, experiencing retaliation. That's a really important one, 17%. The last thing I want to say is the ECI data also shows that there is a strong correlation between an organization with a mature, robust, uh, and well-invested in uh, compliance program and the percentage of reporting uh, that goes on. ERC uh, had uh, individuals rank their organization based on elements uh, of a compliance programs, such as written standards, training, uh, providing resources and advice, so communication, anonymous reporting, uh, performance evaluations on ethical conduct, so having that third leg of the stool I was just talking about in place where people are measured on compliance, and then systems to di uh, discipline violators. Uh, uh, um. So the results when you have these things in place and you're judged to be uh, a, a, uh, an effective program. So of those six factors, if you had zero of those factors, um, only 33% on average report. If you have uh, three of those factors, about 60% report. If you have all six factors of an effective program, so you have a high perceived um, mature program, you have 84% of individuals reporting. Now here's the most important one for us in our uh, discussion over the last two episodes of this podcast. If you have zero factors, 53% of those uh, polled said that they experienced retaliation. 53%, so over half. If you have about three, so you're about middle, 31% uh, say they experience retaliation. For those individuals who stated that their program had all six of these factors, so it was a perceived strong program, mature program, only 4%, four, uh, report uh, experiencing retaliation. 
So this is one of those pieces of data where you kind of say, is it, well, is it the chicken or the egg? You have a strong program, so you probably have a strong culture, so retaliation is going to naturally be low. If you have a weak program, you probably have a weak culture, and, and you're, you know, there's going to be a lot of retaliation going on. I don't think that's necessarily true, particularly on the weak side, right? Because we all know of organizations that don't have a very mature program yet, but still have a strong culture. It's hard to repair a broken culture, but you can repair uh, having a weak program. So these are all important things to think about. You know, uh, uh, I think the key thing, as with many things with compliance these days, the nexus here is uh, management and getting them the proper tools and training that they need and measuring their performance. Uh, that will probably be your best defense moving forward. So uh, thanks for joining me for the last two episodes on this. I know this one ran a little long, but I wanted to try to get it all in. I think it's an important concept. I hope that you found it uh, helpful. Um, as always, if you have questions, comments, or would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us either on compliancebeat.com, moreheadconsulting.com, or you can always email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. We do love to hear from you. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.